This is the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan-Nathan and Peter Gowers. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency. Hello and welcome to Weekends with Walshy, the Territory Story Podcast, weekend edition. My name is Peter Gowers and welcome to you wherever you are listening from. I'd like to introduce you now to uh, one of the co-hosts of this episode, Mr. Christopher Walsh from the NT Independent Online Newspaper. Chris, g'day. Hey, Peter. I showed up. I made it. Good on you, mate. Well done. (laughs) And may I say, uh, congratulations. I meant to say it last week. I'd been planning it for weeks. And it really, kids, if you're listening, it really highlights the benefits of using a diary because uh, last week, Chris, was episode number 50 of Weekends with Walshy. And uh, oh. quite a milestone, and I completely missed it. So this is 51. Yeah, wow. Okay. Wow, where's the cake? Uh, no, I don't think you get a cake for 50. <laughs> no, no. It's okay. like a no. half century in cricket. You get to hold up your bat and then get back to batting. <laughs> when you make a ton, you'll get some sort of celebration. <laughs> Fair enough, man. Uh, I like that. That's good. Now, it would be remiss of me uh, not to mention the absence of our usual co-host. Um, and, and I guess, uh, you know... <laughs> Putting some a bit of caution out there too, because um, look, you know, it'd be fair to say that uh, the third wheel of this uh, trio is uh, what we call the voice of reason amongst us, <laughs> um, and uh, right. he's the reason we don't just run roughshod over all and sundry. Um, I was given some feedback the other day about uh, how wonderful his insight is into all the different things that that go on uh, on on the episodes of Weekends with Walshy and how um, the other two just seem to say whatever they feel like. And I thought (laughs) (laughs) I took real offence to that. So, Oh, man, I'm good with that. I'm I'm happy with that. What I would say is this. um, If you are listening to this episode, if it has made it to air, uh, <laughs> after recording, it means that it has passed scrutineering. Um, it has gone through the editors, through the sub-editors, through the stringers. Uh, it's passed <laughs> legal counsel. In fact, it's more than likely passed the Solicitor General and quite possibly gone through ICAC as well. And uh, and we made it. So thank you for, uh, for listening to this episode. <laughs> That's right, Pete. <laughs> All right. Well, look, let's get into it because, as always, um, it's been another big week in uh, news across the Northern Territory. Yeah, it has. <laughs> I'm exhausted, yes. And <laughs> <laughs> look, we'll kick up the first story tonight and talk about the NT Police Academy and an, an audit's thrown up some irregularities with training procedures. Uh See, like this is, I think we're we're ready to. I think we're we're beginning to see the collapse of the institutions of the Northern right. Territory. Yeah, and yeah. this is only this is only you know part of of many other things here. But <clears throat> you know, so I was given this audit into um, you know the professional standards, et cetera, the, quali- the qualifications of this police college um mm. on the national you know comparing it to national standards and it failed it failed miserably and and to the point that there was such serious non-compliances i mean they had to actually pull a program because just they just weren't doing things properly and uh, you know it's, it's almost some of this stuff here I mean, i'll just look i'll just get into it and i'll tell you a couple of things here that, yeah. that this audit found so firstly 
that the college employed uh, unqualified instructors, that they failed to keep proper records of cadet training, and that they could not determine at times what certification should be issued to graduates. Wow. It was also revealed in this report, so they, they did interviews with some staff, and some of the staff told the auditors that in some instances, participants had completed their course before the college was aware anyone was enrolled. Wow. Like, I don't <laughs> even understand. How the hell does that happen? So so they've completed the course and the college didn't know anyone was even enrolled to do the course. Are they still time. using paper signups or something? Yeah, it, it's, it's wow. so bad. So... Look, here's the other thing here. So this is, as I'm, as I'm writing in this story here, I mean, I'm reading this, I'm just shocked. Uh, it paints a picture, really, this audit of this training facility in shambles, where the college, and this is, this is absolutely in this report, too, it's absolutely true in terms of what their findings were. The college could not actually identify who its managers even were, or if they were fit and proper people. Gee. They could not determine who that is. They're, they're then, you know, required to start the process of determining who their managers were and who was in charge. Mm. And also where recruits graduated with serious literacy and numeracy deficiencies. Gee. So we're talking about people here who can't pass basic, you know, reading and writing tests. Yeah, yeah. This is serious. This is like, like you know, part of this, it just reads like, it's like it's, it's this police academy. The movie. You remember the movie? Like, I mean, you got a bunch of idiots in here. I mean, nobody's qualified to be teaching them. That some of them can't read or write or, or do other things good too. And uh, who's the guy making all the siren noises? And- yeah, I can't remember that guy. Um, you know, like I. Yeah. Anyway, but the, the thing is, is that it, it it's real. This is happening right now. Uh. And to the detriment, and this is why I'm talking about the collapse of the institutions of this place. Like if, yeah. if, I mean, how serious is this? We'll talk about it a bit more here. So, so, you know, they found that it was non-compliant. That most of it, like on, on just about every measure that's there to meet a national standard to be kind of, you know, place that educates people. Uh, it failed everything. It was non-compliant. It was non-compliant on, on so many things. And in fact, so, you know, we didn't just get it. I mean, it, it was given to us and it was verified with some people. And I've spoken to numerous sources about it who have also said, look, that the, the anti-police fire and emergency services executive team. So this is late 2017. This comes out mm-hmm. and or that it's done. I think they may get a late 2017, early 2018. <laughs> it comes out the. You know, I've had so many sources tell me there was absolutely no action taken to address the issues identified in the audit. Uh, and now look, we're looking over three years going on almost four, uh, and they haven't done anything. So I, yeah. And I mean, look, some of this stuff. So I want to just get back into this with the, the audit, um, found, yeah, they couldn't read it right. But another shocking instance is the colleges could not explain why it had even passed some of the cadets. Without accompanying evidence, the college is unable to confirm that certification should be issued. So this is like they can't they don't have the records to, to yeah. tell what these people have done. So yeah. how do they know what, what certification to give them? Um, now, here's where we get into the real serious stuff here. So 
under the, the guidelines, and I'm, they call it, I think it is AXA, ASQA, which is the Australian Skills Quality Authority. So that's the body that regulates college training across the country, right? Mm. So those national standards to be part of that and to, to, to be able to do what they're doing and operate is that they need to, they need to be registered with them, first of all, and there needs to be a training facility that's providing training and assessment by qualified individuals. And that's just like a key tenant of this. Yeah, yeah. So what, what this audit found was that an operational safety and tactics training instructor who was also, you know, and I think that falls in there under there of the firearms yep. of teaching the, the cadets how to use their firearms. Well, he quote, did not appear to hold a diploma of policing or an equivalent qualification to train recruits. Jeez. And so this guy, so, you know, go back to the sources. Um, we've chosen not to name him here right now for, for, for legal reasons, but you know, I think this will, this has got some way to go yet, yep. but the sources again, confirm that the instructor, while no longer being employed there now, had been there for quite a while and in fact had trained officers for years here. And this guy did not have the diploma of policing that's needed. So he's an unqualified instructor. So, so something that you said in one of the first sentences struck me just right through the heart. And then Mm. what you just said then that in a way I was waiting for that. Right. So one of the things you said was that um, they had to pull some of the training because there was no one qualified to teach it. Now, unlike if you went to journalism school or if you went to, uh, you know, you, you did a number of different types of degrees or, or qualifications, there's what they call optional classes within those. But when it comes to policing, you can't mm-hmm. just not do firearms training or <clears throat> not do diplomacy training or whatever the various things are that they do. So, I mean, mm-hmm. how is this possible, mate? Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I honestly don't know. I mean, this is what we sent the questions. That was the first question we sent yeah. to, yeah. To, to the police commissioner, Jamie Chalker, and to the police minister, Nicole Madison, saying, you know, how, yeah, how, how has this even been? So allowed to happen and continue and why hasn't anything been done at this point um yeah, yeah and so these programs this, this one was the advanced diploma of police investigations program so that was yanked by the australian skills quality authority um because they weren't meeting these guidelines they, they weren't meeting the requirements of this whole thing so there's there a group other of cadets that have left uh police academy uh, I, I, I hate to use that name because it has those connotations to it but there's a group <laughs> yeah. there's a bunch of recruits who've left the NT Police Academy and they're not qualified to do investigation? I think that there's that arguments could be made about a lot of things here that they're not qualified to do right. by reading this audit and that this has just been allowed to happen for years. Wow. Yeah. Um, you know, they and this is the other thing too, I mean, where you get into where it's kind of sneaky is that, you know, the audit also found that, that the college, the police college here wasn't providing the proper performance data to the national regulator. So they All couldn't right. monitor, but I guess, like, yeah, yeah. I don't know why they didn't just come in and shut the whole place down. I guess, you know, you don't want to embarrass the anti-police. Um, yeah, and they were, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't provided by deadline. It recommended that they start, <laughs> they start submitting the quality and performance data each year as per their actual requirements. <laughs> uh, 
it was also cited for failure to monitor its training and assessment strategies. So that just wasn't happening. And it even found that the failings outlined in previous audits had still not been addressed years later. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess no surprise concern. They're not doing anything on this one either. Uh, yeah, the information collected to evaluate training was not utilized in a systematic way. It also found that recruits, uh, cadets there who were coming out, uh, were completing surveys on SurveyMonkey, um, about their experience. No, just being binned, completely ignored. Wow. Uh, weren't being looked at. Uh, and this is another one too, another shocking finding. The auditors discovered that the college could not identify, well, we touched on this, could not identify its managers and was therefore non-compliant with the requirement to have effective governance and administration processes in place. Mm-hmm. This is true, and this is quoted, staff explained that work is underway to determine who the actual high managerial agents are. Um, they were then told and directed to do that, finalize that list of managers, and, quote, ensure that fit and proper person declarations are completed. Wow. So they hadn't even done that. They hadn't done that. So, uh, and then there's just the other one. I mean, near the end, they just kind of threw this in too, that, that, you know, the college needed to implement a clear process for ensuring compliance with relevant legislation because at the time, and still there's no process to review what legislation needed to be adhered to. So they were just doing whatever the hell they wanted. Flying blind. And and is there any suggestion that that's reflected in in the uh, level of policing that we now get, you know, in in and around the NT? Well, look, I think you got to start asking that kind of question. And we know there's a lot of good cops and there's a lot of good frontline officers here working hard. We've, you know, we've heard from a lot of people today who've gone through this after I ran the story this morning and, um, Saying that, you know, it's bad. It's as bad as that yeah. audit. You know, they're all kind of coming out now saying that, like, you know, but we've, you know, we want to reform things. We yep. want to fix this. Um, but it doesn't seem that the current executive have that same passion uh, <laughs> to want to fix anything. I mean, you've had years to do it now. Admittedly, this would have been when Reese Kershaw was the commissioner when this uh, was first commissioned. And yep. uh, when it came out, so remember Chalker came in in 2019. But, you know, the, 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 the Gunner government was there. Nicole Madison as police minister, um, she, she would have known about this. Yeah. Uh, if she didn't, she should be sacking people right now. And, and really, I mean, I think that's really their only, the only way to, to restore the public's, you know, faith in this or yeah. confidence at all that, that, that things are being done right is to start sacking some people and show that you're going to do something. Mm. But as we know, that doesn't happen in the Northern Territory, not in the government anyway. No, and, and look, while the story itself is, I mean, it's absolutely quite shocking. Uh, w- one of the um, real shocking facts to me, of course, is that uh, they're using the free survey app SurveyMonkey. Yeah, yeah, I know. That was weird too, Pete. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. <I've read> <laughs> All the money we spend on software, et cetera, and we're just using a freebie yeah. called SurveyMonkey. <laughs> what? I thought they just would have given them like a little pencil and a little piece of paper on the way out. Yeah. I have fill out the how did we do card. Yeah, yeah. Like, like the old TAB restaurant. Little, uh... <laughs> yeah. But the um, thing about that is, right, without, without making a complete joke of it, I mean, your earlier good. point was that there's a level of um, below par literacy and numeracy. M- maybe, yeah. you know, that's reflected in the, the surveys that weren't being filled out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. 
didn't understand the uh, questions, couldn't answer them. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not, yeah. I'm not saying that's like everyone, but I mean, if, if yeah. people genuinely couldn't read and write, well, that's a huge problem. We've heard from people who told us those stories. They were just shocked at the, the amount of people that came in who were just not qualified enough yeah. to even consider being police officers here. But yet, you know, they come in and they're passed and they're given a gun. Yeah. And they're told, go on, go out in the community. Uh, it's crazy. It's just absolutely crazy. Like, this is just, I've never heard of anything like this no. before. Because, you know, the, the police, like, they keep things quiet, right? And and Chalker would never want this getting out. And Nicole Madison would never want this getting out. But guess what, guys? It's out. And but it's if, out there now. And, and it needs to be. If you expose yourself that much, yeah, I mean, in this level, this, this is a, yeah, this is a, a critical government department yeah absolutely and particularly at this time when crime is you know on forefront of everybody's minds and yes lots and lots of social problems that are going on um wouldn't wouldn't you fix something as major as this you know if, if you knew it was going on that's the that's the crazy part here too is that they let this just continue like this and especially now so why should anyone have any confidence yeah. In the anti-police here, like after, like you've yeah. got to show that you've done something. Yeah. But we know for a fact that they haven't done anything in this. Yeah, yeah. And there are people in this who know who they are, who were there and training people, and those people will eventually be named and stuff too. But these, these yeah. are people that are still around. These are people. Can I say that that you know the government's putting a lot of credibility into? Yeah. Yeah. And and the police commissioner is, and these people clearly shouldn't shouldn't be in the roles. I mean, they found that they weren't qualified. They found that this is a whole joke. I really, you know, it really does besmirch the name of the anti-police and, and, and every officer who's gone through this. And you got a lot of good officers and a lot of smart people and good yeah, people who've come through to be cops. And now we're questioning them. We yeah. have to after this saying, oh, well, did you get the proper training? Can you read and write? And I mean, I don't want it to get to that point, but it's not my responsibility. I'm given this you know, as a journalist, we've got to report this stuff because this is the only way we actually get change now. And and I and again, I'm not trying to blow this out of proportion either. This is a very important story, uh, and mostly because of the cover up. We've seen more cover up where they didn't want this out, but they didn't want to do anything to fix it. Um, again, I get back to this. This is the crumbling of the institutions of the Northern Terror. This is just another institution starting to crumble before our eyes. And this was touched on uh, in an earlier episode of Territory Story when we spoke to uh, one of the economists that I think from memory uh, you actually introduced us to. And we mm-hmm. talked about the debt levels of the Northern Territory and all that sort of stuff. And, yeah. he's, and he said, well, what happens is, what tends to happen in this situation is that, yeah, government services uh, are the ones that naturally have to go by the wayside. So this, this this may be a reflection of that. Oh, God. Yeah. I mean, they're not. They just thought they could just, yeah, just ignore this and continue yeah. the way things were. And hopefully nobody ever found out. And, I, and, and Pete, I've been here long enough to know. And I'm getting the sense now like that, that, that all of this is coming to a head. And then we're getting yeah. so much good information now. And so many people are just fed up with this place. And saying, like, you know, I'm a good person. I've come here. I've wanted to succeed. I've wanted to see the Northern Territory succeed. 
And instead it's, it's the shitheads that are stopping us from getting ahead and they're mm-hmm. getting promoted mm-hmm. and they're running the place and they're running the place into the ground. And, and we just, we have no better example than this auto right here. And yeah, so we'd be like, we're going to keep going, but I am getting this sense that either everything comes down at some point or somebody's held accountable. There, there does actually need to be consequences at some point. And even as much as, the fearless leader, Chief Minister Michael Gunner, doesn't want to bring in the consequences. Somebody's going to, mm-hmm. and something's going to happen because something yeah. needs to happen because the confidence, the public's confidence in the institutions here. And we talk about this a lot, I know, but we're really we're starting to see this crumble right around us. And um, yeah, just I guess keep reading, and we're we're gonna we're gonna be exposing a lot more as we go and along. If I could offer any advice. Um, Check your fines, people. Check for spelling errors and mistakes, and there might be a uh, <laughs> get out of a fine. There might yeah. be an avalanche of fines being. Uh, well, do you remember this? A few weeks ago, we were talking about how they had to overturn all the speeding tickets yeah, from uh, yeah, yeah. the vans yeah. because they weren't calibrated properly. Yeah. The radar guns. So, oh, guess what? The guys don't know numbers. <laughs> I mean, this yeah. is the kind of stuff, and I hate saying that because, like I said, I know we've got a lot of good frontline officers, and I've spoken to a lot of good ones, and a lot yep. of good ones have come out after this to, to confirm that this is what's going on. So, but but this goes back to leadership here. This goes back to the executives. This goes back to the minister. They got to do something about this because it's right now it's a laughing stock. It is the NT Police Academy. Yeah, and listen, it's a really good point that you touch on. As much as I make a joke out of the, the fines, the reality is that the people on the front line are obviously there because they want to do a good thing. You know, being Mm -hmm. a police officer is a noble type of employment and they get to do and see things that you and I never have to because they, you know, they're the ones that go to the front line. So absolutely no, no question about them. But the problem is when it starts at the top, Mm -hmm. question mark filters all the way through and that's unfair to those who are doing a good job. Yeah, absolutely, Pete. Yeah, they gotta they gotta fix this one now, and expect this to make news here for a little while longer yeah. too, until they actually start seeing something. This is pretty yeah. big. Okay, all right. Look, let's move on to the second story. And uh, former Chief Minister Adam Giles has been linked to a company that's in talks with a local company for major da- for a major Darwin <laughs> Energy project. There was a time when we thought the whole place would collapse around Adam Giles as the leader. You know, I mean, he really I remember that he, time. Yeah, he really dragged it, the institutions that we're discussing here, really dragged them down and really had people question. There was actually like constitutional questions at the time. There were issues of confidence in government. There were issues of confidence in the institutions. There was like a time where we had nobody qualified to investigate the former chief of police, uh, John McRoberts, when he got caught up in all his trouble. We actually uh-huh. didn't have anybody qualified to investigate that right there were conflicts of interest everywhere right. i don't know anyway that just reminds me of uh of giles's tenure and on all the craziness that went on there so we spoke about this we kind of touched on it last week so giles of course humiliating defeat the clps annihilated in 2016 territorians vote for a guy who promises to end a scandal play government to restore integrity and transparency we know how well that's gone mm. in five years now um terrible i mean we're getting to the point where and let's not forget the gunner was actually at the same levels of unpopularity as Adam Giles was uh, around the time of the last federal election two years ago. And then COVID came and he somehow gets back in. Uh, anyway, so the question always was, well, 
you know, and, and I know that when we were at the MT News, we used to do this, me and Ben Smith, like people do like the where are they now kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there's always a certain amount of, of interest in then Giles and uh, some of the other jokers who made up his cabinet or crux and the cabinet, as we call them. Um, yeah, so here's what we know. We know that, well, we know that Giles, when he, when he, the humiliating defeat member, he was sipping the beer on election night, he said, that's not the last you'll hear adam giles again yeah. <laughs> and uh, everybody was like really mad because he drove that party into the ground the clp with all the yep. scandal and his and his guy's scandals and then he just hightailed it out of here saying well better bigger things for me ends up with gina uh, reinhardt for a while does the short-lived sky news after dark program that was canceled shortly after he invited a nazi sympathizer on as a guest <laughs> you remember that gotcha. high-fiving them and having photos of hitler yeah cool um <laughs> So now we don't know where he goes. He's bouncing around. He's, you know, somebody told me he was selling like medical supplies in Townsville or oh, yeah. something. <laughs> so yeah, okay. Here's what we found out now, though. He's actually recently been appointed to a key role, uh, and that's they're calling it chairman elect of a startup energy company out of New South Wales called Verdant Earth Technologies. Mm-hmm. Now. Verdant Earth Technologies is, you know, billing themselves as, uh, well, wanting to become a major green hydrogen producer and exporter. Okay. Now, it's got this, it's this interesting thing with Verdant, right? So they're in the Hunter Valley region, New South Wales. The director is mm. a guy named Richard Poole. Now, Richard Poole uh, had some dealings there with Hunter Valley coal licenses and what's involved say, in coal a lot of coal, a lot of yeah. coal in the Hunter. I don't know about too much. Uh, what was it? Yeah. Hydrogen. Green hydrogen. Green yeah. hydrogen. Green, apparently. green hydrogen. Yeah. So, yeah. So this guy was, uh, yeah, caught up in those kind of things and some coal fire generation plants down there. Um, some other issues that, uh, that were negative against him, some findings that were ultimately overturned uh in the area down there with the the coal licenses um so look so now this guy richard pool he's on board here he's i think what what they're doing and i'm trying to remember where he had this um it was a uh they they had taken over a plant down there and are kind of running uh a new hydrogen a new hydrogen project there which he was saying when I spoke to him, because I did track him down, um, yeah. that it's a lot of timber waste they're okay. using that they're turning into this this green energy that wouldn't go anywhere. Uh, yeah, that's it. So where was it? And we're looking to do something similar here. Uh, but of course, the, the question then becomes, uh, what's Adam Giles' affiliation here and why is Adam Giles brought on? Mm. Right, as chairman-elect to be the chairman. Um well, we see that the Verdant Technologies is in talks with none other than Lambridge Group, okay. the very company that Adam Jaws, when he was chief minister, sold the port to for 99 years. Right. So, you know, we get into these ethical dilemmas of, uh, you know, and what this appears, I mean, we know that Verdant's a bit of a startup here, that they've not come out of New South Wales, so their first time into the NT, they're dealing with a big player like Lambridge. They bring in a former chief minister who happened to have a relationship with them. Mm. And you see in the story there, I mean, we ran some photos of uh, Giles and Lambridge Group Chairman Yi Chang having some some drinks. They're very well known to one another, having gone through that whole um, uh, process 
process of leasing a port for 99 years to Lambridge. So, yeah, I think a lot of people raised some eyebrows, certainly, that Giles would do this. Now, I put it to Richard Cool. I put it to Adam Giles. Adam Giles didn't answer. Lambridge also didn't respond to questions. Uh, Richard Cool said, look, he, he was aware of Giles' links to Lambridge, which, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> um, he said, though, that he hadn't been brought on uh solely for negotiations with Lambridge and in fact he had not been involved to date with the discussions that are ongoing and, and from what I understand he's told me it's a memorandum of understanding but I mean you mm. still got feasibility studies so and really that's what it is right I mean it's, it's not that they're using well they'll ultimately use the port to to export the energy yeah but they want to do it on the port property on the port ground and in fact they want Lambridge to partner as they're calling it a strategic alliance Right. Our partnership with Lambridge, so it's it kind of it was supposed to be a mutually beneficial thing here. Yeah. But you got to start; it does raise eyebrows when when then you've got a former politician who has uh, connections here coming in and doing this. Mm. So, uh, but look, Richard Poole says uh, he's aware of it. He said that he was uh, that Giles came recommended to him by a couple of guys. Oh yeah, Tiny. a couple of guys. Yeah. Said, hey, why don't you go check out Adam? Adam Giles, you know the guy from the Sky News show who was <laughs> hanging out with Nazis sympathizers. <laughs> so uh, anyway, he says, look, I really like Adam. We were looking for someone to help lead us through this next phase. He's a talented guy. He's got some skills that can value add and, and helps us with credibility. I don't know about that. He has the ability to see through problems and find solutions. He was pushing us to come to Darwin. He was certainly an advocate for Darwin being a good place to be, and that we should do business up there mm. well yeah and it is not a place for it's a good place for adam giles to do business if he, so if he, he can is he based out of new south wales now adam giles uh i think he's still he, in victoria he, with his partner at from. large yeah 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 i don't know where he's at um of course the family home he was there with his wife uh former abc journalist phoebe stewart and i was on her kind of um her family property in uh, rural Victoria okay. for a while. And they've had, oh, we might've been neighbors. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know exactly where I should have um, caught up with him when I was there. <laughs> yeah. Um, look, he's an interesting guy. Giles. I mean, he's not, he's not a dumb guy. It's, uh, he certainly does have some talents and I, and I understand where uh, Richard Poole's coming from here with this. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately with this one, I, I don't know. I think it just, is one of those things that looks like Giles coming in here to enrich himself and to broker a deal between these two parties because he's done it. He's done it before, and is he capitalizing on those other connections and selling port to to Lambridge from earlier? So yeah, oh, yeah, we'll see what happens. I mean, I think this thing's still a long way off as well, uh, right? In it's terms of happening, like I said, yeah, feasibility studies yet to be done, and uh, but they do have an MOU in place with Lambridge, so we'll okay. see. Uh, where it goes and what comes of it now. Um, I was going to tell you a funny story, though. So the guy, Richard Cool, when we were doing the interview, I didn't put it in the story, but so we're talking and I, you know, and I, he, he explained a very detailed about the plan from what he plans to do, which is in the story. Most of it, it, was, it was very long and detailed. Um, and then I asked him, I said, oh, you got a former chief minister, Adam Giles, uh, involved. And so he answered those questions. And then at the end of those quotes there that I had, he said to me, Oh, do you, I don't know if you know him or not, but he's a really great guy. And I said, no, I, I know him. Yeah. <laughs> he said, oh, okay. 
I said, yeah, I wrote a book about his government and his time as leader up here. And he goes, oh, was it positive or negative? And I said, well, it was true. It's a true and accurate account of what happened. So uh, I think Richard Poole was, uh, was going to buy a copy of Crocs in the Cabinet and uh, probably called Adam Jaws shortly after and said, oh, yeah, I just spoke to Chris Welsh. And Jaws said, I right, screw this project. I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not involved anymore. With that. So, yeah, it was a good while it lasted. And then Walsh found out. He might put you back on the Darwin bestsellers list by uh, selling a couple of <laughs> copies of the book to the rest of the board that elected the chairman. <laughs> you know, that's our claim to fame with Crocs in the cabinet. That at the airport here in Darwin, it was on the bestseller. It was number one on the bestseller list for something like 25, 26 weeks. Wow. Okay. That's the <laughs> Darwin the bestsellers? Oh, the airport bestseller. Yeah. Well, yeah. Just at Darwin Airport bestseller. It probably would have yeah. made a lot of sales. People are often looking for books as they travel. And what would be more? Oh, it did. It, finding out yeah, it did. Yeah, it did. Um, it did extremely well, actually. I was surprised at how many it sold. And I don't even remember the total figures now, but it definitely was up there to best seller category where it could actually okay. be called that nationally. Yeah, right. So have you yeah. been approached about a version two? Well, yeah, we're working on this every day in this little <laughs> cesspool <laughs> that we call whatever <laughs> Darwin or the anti government uh, and all of its tentacles that are, you know. Yeah, wearing its ugly head. So, you know, good to catch up with an old friend here for all of us with Adam Giles, but uh, mm. certainly more important people these days <laughs> moving on. We'll watch this space on that one. Um, yeah. Now, moving on to the next story, uh, the Deputy Treaty Commissioner doubts the government's legitimacy uh, when it comes to negotiating a treaty. That's a concern, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it's almost uh, unusual that we have somebody here who is very much a party stalwart. Um, of course, we're talking about the deputy treaty commissioner is uh, Ursula Raymond. Uh, a lot of people know her from the Labour Party, and she's uh, been a long time, long time uh, NTALP member and uh, has worked in this government as well, has worked as, a, right. as a, an advisor for uh, Lauren Moss. Uh, so anyway, look, she's she's uh so you don't expect somebody like this to be critical of the government, really, who's relying it on 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 them for a paycheck, and it's part of the uh, you know the tribal kind of the tribalism of the labor of the anti labor party, where you know they're all family and everything. Anyway, here's what happened. So she was speaking as a panelist at the Treaty Now talk at the at the Garamalong Festival in Darwin on Saturday. Yep. Uh, now, they had some other um, Indigenous leaders on the panel, and discussion um, kind of went the ways. I mean, it stayed away from McDodson. Now, keep in mind, that's still unresolved, right? Dodson's still in the role, even though he said he was going to resign, allegedly said he was going to resign, then decided to take sick leave. And now the government claims he says he'll resign when he's back from sick leave. Anyway, so he's not around for this, right? And we're talking Reconciliation Week and everything on these and these events are going on here in Darwin. So they bring out Ursula Raymond, the deputy treaty commissioner, and she's on the panel with these people. And one of the guys was saying, one of the panelists was saying that he found it difficult to reconcile that the NT government could be the body preparing for a treaty when it had a quote, incredibly draconian rap sheet when it comes to the criminalization and dehumanization of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. 
<laughs> now, as David Wood uh, rightly and astutely pointed out here in the article, this is his article, he said he did seem to conflate some of the actions of the federal government with those territory government. However, you know, and it was, that's when he was talking about cashless debit cards, but he said, um, this gentleman went on to say that just two weeks ago, I watched him pass through a really wild set of legislation that's just going to take kids from school to prison. And uh, we've talked about those bail reforms um, at great length on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, talking about, yeah, that this is, um, so he says, I find it difficult to legitimize the government's attempts to try and establish a road to treaty. Well, simultaneously, their actions couldn't speak any differently. Mm. Now, Ursula Raymond, as the deputy treaty commissioner, was asked if she concurred with his statement. And she said, uh, and said with the law changes, would see uh, even more young people in prison. She said, yes, I totally agree. So she totally agrees. Uh, it is difficult, especially when here in the Northern Territory, they ran through those bail reforms, which basically now we have mandatory sentencing again, she said. So not only will young people who are already within the justice system never leave that system for a long time, if ever, there are going to be a whole lot of new young people who are going to be subject to these laws now. So we'll have even more young people in prison. What we're saying is we cannot have peace when we are continuously confronted by warlike, colonial, intensive, invasive development, she said. This is wow. the deputy treaty commissioner saying yeah, some yeah. really harsh words here. Yep. <laughs> um, she, she, she went on, actually, and they asked the Royal Commission, of course, into its attention here. And, and of course, Michael Gunner uh, was the chief minister who came in while that was going on and was handed the recommendations of that. And, and a lot of the recommendations, not as a lot of them, have been repealed almost kind of with some of this stuff. So Ursula Raymond, the deputy uh, treaty commissioner, um, she cited Naja, managing solicitor for crime, Beth Wild saying she had told the media the government was the parent of kids on the streets because they were in territory families controlled home care. So it's the government, Ursula Raymond said. And then when the report of the Royal Commission uh, was handed down into detention here, the current chief minister, Michael Gunner, when he accepted that report in Parliament, in Parliament House, he said the same thing. She said, I've never heard a political leader say that before, you know, that we are the parents, that all these kids are in state care. And I was like, wow, that's good. But nothing since then. It's just been, it's just reactive to media and, you know, short-term political games. Mm. So, uh, yeah, taking a shot at the chief minister there. It, it's such a heavy topic, Chris. Yeah, it really yeah. is. I mean, and as you said, we've, we've talked about this. It's really difficult to feel as though there's ever going to be a solution when, yeah. when each party seems to be so far removed from each other. One of the statements that you said there that really stood out to me was, uh, we're taking kids from schools to jail cells. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I'll apologise in advance if I'm completely ignorant, ignorant about this issue, but I don't think these kids are in school. Yeah, that's, that's it. the problem. And yeah. When we saw a few weeks ago everybody protesting out the front of Parliament House and they said, oh, you know, the, 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 the mandatory bail laws or whatever, whatever they've, revisions they've changed, um, uh, sorry, whatever laws they've changed, that they were, that the point that everybody was making at that rally or protest was that, 
you know, we, we've we've got to continue with these diversionary measures that that have been in place. Mm. Well, I mean, unless I'm completely blind to it, none of this stuff's working. So, are we meant to just keep doing the same old, same old, and getting the same result, or is some sort of change and trying to make this better? Um, you know, like, like I said, uh, I don't want to pick at a you know a really sensitive topic, but when when you see and hear the other side of it people who are victims of crime and you know you know as it's well known I, I work in the real estate business and you've got certain areas where people would love to sell their houses but you know prospective buyers will come there and go oh no this is a crime area I know that they won't they won't entertain those suburbs yeah so you know it's you feel like no side can win but yeah, well, and that's it. And and P, you're absolutely right. And the other thing here that we keep missing when we have these is that like nobody's throwing out any solutions, really, no, right? I mean, they're, they're no yeah, crapping on the government for for bringing in this. You know, to some extent, they ha- they have to be reactive to the community. So it was going yeah. to Alice Springs. At least you heard from people too that. I mean, it was it, the stuff was out of control. Things had to be done. If laws needed to be changed to restore order, that's what a government has to do. Yeah. Um, you know, within its limits and everything like that. And then we're all watching it and we know what's going on. Um, but yeah, I mean, a very few ideas have been tossed around of how else to do it. I mean, Gunner's talked about the generational changes we said here for what's five years now. Yeah. We've, you know, and we, we've yet to see anything. I mean, I told you about the, the, the home that they had here, that salt bush thing yes. facility yes. Yes. and how that wasn't really being staffed. Probably that wasn't, there were some serious issues there with that. I mean, they're not, they don't seem to have the drive to do something else. Like they are kind of being reactionary in the bad sense of that, that they're just sitting back and whatever happens, oh, we better do something instead of having a vision and a plan. Yeah, and yeah. to that extent, I get what Ursula Raymond's saying, where she said, look, it, it, it seemed like he was interested when he first came in. Yeah. That he took those recommendations and he said, okay, I have an idea. Here's what we're going to do. But he just didn't do it. <laughs> he just totally got either yeah. bored of it or what. And then, he just thought he could sit back and nothing and, you know, everything would be fine. Kind of like the police college, kind of like everything else is going on here. Well, where they just think they up, like, yeah. Yeah. I wasn't going to bring what? up the police college, but gee, it, uh, as you were talking, I was thinking, well, you know, it's, it's, kind <laughs> of, it's kind of, you know, from the same cut from the same cloth, isn't it? Well, yeah. And it's just this, it's just, we don't address problems in the Northern territory. Mm. we just let them fester and we hope that if we just keep doing everything like you said that we've always done before well yeah. you know everything that they've done before got michael gunner elected chief minister and he's in a pretty cushy job so why would he change yeah and the, and right? the, one, like, the one thing that hits home self-interest about, yeah correct the, the, the one thing that hits home to me about that whole concept of generational change um it's a wonderful grandstand statement but it 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 also could be accused of being a great statement to make when you want to kick the problem down the road and a generation's a long time away, so it's it's not going to affect me, you know? It's, it's yeah. got that sort of feel to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah you're right. Um, I just wanted to get back to the story that, that, that we had done here, and, I mean, I, I encourage a lot of people to read it because he, he goes into depth here on some of the interesting views and ideas that uh, the people on the panel had. But as it, as it relates back to, uh, to Mick Dodson, <laughs> there were a lot of people thinking 
you know, I don't know. We're still kind of confused on exactly what it would take to get rid of them. I know that Cunningham is a two-thirds majority of parliament. There may be other ways. We're still looking into that. I told you we would look at that last week. Um, There was some discussion, though, that, 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 that perhaps when he goes, I mean, what would happen? Would Ursula Raymond as the deputy then be promoted into yeah, the top job? Yeah. yeah, so Woody's kind of looked at that a bit here in the story, and he says uh, that she could not actually do that. Um, let me see here. So, and of course, he gets into it here, but about how she had worked with for as an advisor to Lauren Moss, the labor minister, taking that post in the months after Labor was re-elected um, into territory government in 2016. So back in 2016, she takes the job. So she's been there a while. Before that, she'd done four months with uh, the federal labor member, Luke Gosling, as his chief of staff. She then ran for Senate uh, and was beaten up by factional rival Malandiri McCarthy when Nova Paris stepped down. Right. right. So like I said before, she's been around for a while and then she's well known in the labor ranks. Uh, and she lost to Malandir McCarthy. Uh, so now here's, here's what happens is that she can't actually do it. If you can't become the commissioner, apparently of this particular role and maybe others, if you had been working or employed by a minister in the last five years, Right, and so she has been, and yeah. I guess you know they want to keep it the appearance of independence here in this thing, and um, I guess she's living up to that with the swipe that she gave Gunner today on it. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, she can't do it. She can't actually take that job. So they would, so I guess, have to look at commissioner then. Yeah, well, that's a good question. I guess that they wouldn't have those same. You don't get the ultimate say power to say yes or no and and from what i've seen she's only making about half what he made so they talk about the gender discrepancies in pay (laughs) yeah no well no to be fair remember she talked to the uh the fashion magazine uh, last christmas saying that whole 2020 was a wash out they couldn't do anything because of covid but the paychecks kept coming in so her and mech put their feet up and uh, had a good year but couldn't actually do any work so Anyway, okay. we'll uh, we'll see. This one, like I said, man, that's like this. Is just their scandal play government. They can't get, they can't shake it here, and they can't get rid of McDudson now. So, yeah, this one's anyway. the one we're going to be talking about for a while. I think, yeah, rightly or wrongly. All right, look, we'll move on to the next topic and and another um, topic that we've we've talked about a bit. But uh, the Darwin Turf Club grandstand is. Uh, made the headlines again due to a, <laughs> uh, a senior committee member lobbying the government for a $12 million grant without the rest of the board's knowledge, according to... Uh, yeah, yeah, Pete, this one, it just... You know, people thought that this whole deal stunk from the beginning. Um, you know, you had this $12 million grant that the government had given the Turf Club uh, in the middle of saying that they're broke they have no money yet mm. somehow and we know that's be true and somehow they find 12 million dollars for a new giant grandstand that nobody needed or wanted and the one that's there was was fine and, a- and adequate and in fact the, the the turf club had been building silks before yeah. that too so they had a whole other right. big venue there okay yeah so they were fine and, and remember the taxpayers underwrote that silks thing they gave them a um a loan 
or they underwrote the loan so that, yep. yeah, if they defaulted, the government taxpayers would pick it up to build that thing. But that wasn't good enough. So they also wanted a giant brand new grandstand. So, yeah, and all the controversy that came from that, uh, when it was, you know, found out that the, 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 the contract to build the grandstand was then awarded to the Darwin Turf Club's chairman, Brett Dixon. Uh, and yeah, all the craziness that happened after that and accusations and denials and, um, you know, the turf club, uh, and Dixon, the board and Dixon saying that everything was above board that, um, that, you know, they had a selection panel that, that, that went through everything. They could back everything up. They had a probity, uh, auditor on site and involved in that. They had someone from the government. We're going to get into some of that stuff as this, this series of investigations goes on. Right. But uh, right now, and when this airs, this podcast, uh, I'd encourage people to probably read the second story in this investigative series that we're doing. Right. Um, but back to this one here. So what we've what we've been able to determine is that <laughs> you know, despite all the denials and uh, and saying that everything was was done properly, the actual board of directors didn't know that Brett Dixon was lobbying the government. In fact, they didn't know until he showed up at a board meeting in June 2019 after he had secured the funding, the $12 million in taxpayer money, and told them, oh, yeah, I've just secured you guys $12 million for a new grandstand. Here's how it's going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just, it was shocking. And because nobody has said anything in all this time, I mean, you had some some pretty good journalism written about this. And really, you know, myself included, I guess nobody had thought like to ask the board. I mean, I don't know if they would have been completely honest about it. You know, we had to get these documents that, that can prove things. Yep. And um, and we see here that the board just did not know. And when he showed up, they, they started asking him when he said, I've got 12 million bucks here from from the Gunner government to build this grandstand. Some of them said, well, well, tell us about this. Like, what, is, what is this? How big is this? You know, yeah, what, yeah. what's the process here? I mean, they did not know. Meanwhile, Dixon had been meeting with um, with Gunner's office now, come to find out, since mid-2018. And this is about so a year before he tells the board about it. He starts these meetings with Elf Leonardi, and you remember that famous letter that uh, Michael Gunner's chief of staff, Elf Leonardi, actually wrote for Brett Dixon to send to the racing minister Natasha Files and treasurer Nicole Madison, um, lobbying them. And, and Elfie and Artie said, here's the letter you need to send to these people. Mm. He wrote it for him. And so, you know, Elfie and Artie kind of disappears after that. One after that's revealed, John O'Kitson at the ABC had filed an FOI and, and revealed that. And Gunner said, well, I felt like an idiot when I found out. I didn't know. I felt like an idiot. And, you know, and anyway, and apparently that was good enough. Nobody said, do you think you should resign over this? I mean, your, your chief of staff was doing these deals and writing letters, lobbying letters for, yeah. for private businessmen who we now know weren't even operating under the authority of the, the position that they claimed to be in. Right. right. I mean, that was the biggest question that we put, one of the biggest questions that we put to Brett Dixon and the chair and the board was, on whose authority were you actually lobbying the government? Because if, if the board didn't know about it, well, this looks like this is Brett Dixon, the businessman in here doing this. And with his connections and, you know, and then the, the, the issue of the donations come up with him and four other businessmen who had given a, a combined $100,000 to Gunner and lead up to the 2016 election. I mean, how does, 
how does he do that? How, how is he getting these private meetings in Michael Gunner's office with very senior people and getting letters written for him? Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, the board has no idea. So, but, you know, Dixon says, oh, you know, he told ABC last year, he said, oh, I was intending to inform all the members my 2018 Christmas newsletter. Well, we know that that never was sent out and nobody knew about this thing, but he had consultants, meanwhile, uh, doing up the drafting of the concept, the initial concept designs, plans, uh, feasibility mm-hmm. studies. Um, the question that we sent to these consultants is, who paid you for that? Right. Yeah. Was it was it JTEX? Was it Brad Dixon? Or was it the Turf Club? And if it was the Turf Club, on, again, on whose authority did he approve this funding to these companies without anyone else on the board knowing about it? Mm. Like, it's really unusual. It's really unusual. And just to state the bleeding obvious on that, in, in that situation, if, if the Turf Club were to lobby uh, to get a new grandstand built, it, it would be a board decision to to go and do that, you know, discussed and, and ratified at board level? Oh, of course, of course. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's what you would want. You got to bring people with you on everything, and then they could mm-hmm. sell this, and you get the whole. You can get public support behind you for this. Mm-hmm. And what he did instead was, well, he just he appears to have just pursued this for his own interests, and you know, and he and he wouldn't respond to questions about that. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I just, yeah, it just, it, it, it's not the typical process, in fact. But we've we've seen that sort of thing. We've we've seen instances uh in recent past too where he's operated without board um approval to approve funding um and payments and things like that that um that you know under the associations act and stuff he's you know there are rules for how uh board members need to conduct their themselves and their conduct and uh uh yeah serious questions around that here and how this all played out Mm-hmm. Um, and these, again, these consultants wouldn't, uh, wouldn't answer any questions. Um, yeah, I mean, it just goes on and on. There's a lot more here to come out and there's a lot more where, you know, certain evidence that we've found, uh, you know, documented evidence uh, does not add up with the official story that the public's right. been told. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so, so we've got. Uh, a fair number of stories actually left in this whole series. Um, so keep reading here. And uh, I think by, by the time we get out of this, we'll have a better understanding of what actually transpired in this whole thing. Cause right now we know a bit from the government, we know a bit from the turf club, but now we're, 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 we're kind of seeing what's there and what happened all around this time. And, um, Oh, it doesn't look good for some people. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, so uh, check out the NT Independent to find out more. Uh, over the, how many uh, following days, Chris? Yeah, well, we're still <laughs> working that. Um, it'll be yeah, until the end of next week at the very uh, earliest. That's how many stories there are. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of stuff to get through here, and there's a lot of, you know, the more we look at this, the more we go over, and like, oh, my God, and this happened, and this happened, and mm-hmm. the public just does not know about how this was allowed to even happen. I mean, I don't know when this is all, when that's done, you know, we're going to have a look at, and we are looking at the board itself, but I think that this is another 
another symptom of what's wrong with the Northern Territory and its institutions and um, the way that some of the conduct of this board and, um, you know, really why they, they're on that board in the first place too is something that right. we'll be exploring a little bit further and um okay. you know what, what, what possible benefits personal benefits they've received by being on this and mm. i'm telling you and and, and i'll tell you too that you know another another kind of story that'll be coming out is what kind of financial problems do the turf club have i mean that gala ball you know the, the cup gala ball yep oh we got some some stuff coming out on that that's really going to shock people on, mm-hmm. on on how they're even allowed to be doing this. I mean, keep in mind this, that and I think people forget this, that their money is actually like taxpayer money, right? Like, so yeah. the Gunner government and it's in all of its wisdom, you know, really hiked up the, the, the money that was given the taxpayer money to thoroughbred racing at T when they came in in 2016. And of course that's kind of the peak body that accepts that money on the government and then distributes it to the other turf clubs in the territory. And, um, uh, yeah, the, the, the money that's gone through that, that I, I just don't think that people understand that it is taxpayer money. I mean, they're, they're supposed to be a nonprofit, right? They're supposed yeah. to be, there to uh, promote racing and um, do some events here for the community and stuff like this. And, and, and we see that, that this really got out of hand <laughs> really quickly right. for a lot of people. And they, they have a duty under the associations act to kind of be fit and proper people and conduct their business properly on the, on the board. But they also have that responsibility, I think to taxpayers. Right. And um, yeah, the further we we've been going into this, uh, the more shocking it is. But it'll, it'll it'll all come out here over the next ten days. Any word of Adelaide River getting a big grandstand at some stage? <laughs> <laughs> well, they should be lobbying more. Not likely. <laughs> nah. Yeah. yeah. All right. I well, don't know. It's, there's enough money to go around if they actually distributed it yeah, properly. And put even your hand up. <laughs> Look, we'll uh, we'll move to the last story, and uh, th- this one probably uh, fits into the only in the NT category. Uh, <laughs> yeah, whose sisters have escaped a COVID quarantine facility and were dobbed in by mum, who was then forced to go into quarantine with them. What is going on? <laughs> Uh, yeah, you know, some of these stories, like when they put it out, oh, man, was fine. He came from Melbourne and he stepped outside on the street and he's been fined 5,000 and that's basically it. And you're like, well, yeah. that's not much of anything. Yeah. And then they, then they get little nuggets of gold like this that they put out and you're reading this and you're like, and of course they missed the whole point, right? Like the whole yeah. thing about... The, the the mother having to go in. I mean, that was buried in their in their press release here. So yeah, yeah. anyway, we 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 got this story that uh, that seemed pretty entertaining. Um, and, and I mean, serious to I me, mean, they breached they breached uh, um, the health directors, the health officers' uh, orders, <laughs> but somehow scaled the fence at the Alice Springs uh, Todd quarantine facility on Sunday and they went to see their mother and a boyfriend. So one of the girls, so they're both mm-hmm. aged uh, 19 and 22. One had yeah. a boyfriend. Do you want to see the other had that mom they wanted to see? And so they don't say this in the, in the story either. They said that they had um, somehow uh, climbed over the perimeter fence and jumped into a waiting car on Sunday. Now, mm-hmm. the only thing that makes sense is that who's driving the getaway car? Who's the well, getaway the driver? Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah got to be the boyfriend. Is so he in he quarantine too? 
Yes, Amigos uh, hello. in quarantine as well. <laughs> yeah. So so he shows up. Hey, that might have been his aim. That might have been his aim. <laughs> now he's got a two-week dirty weekend. Yeah, well, with his mother-in-law too. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'll tell you, like, when we were looking at this, there was some discussion of, like, does – you know, because they would both have to pay about twenty five hundred bucks each to be in quarantine. Yeah. But then when the mom and the uh, and the boyfriend come in, do they both each have to pay twenty five hundred? And I'm yeah. thinking maybe not. That maybe the five thousand family fee would apply. Oh yeah, maybe. Yeah, you see, but I don't know. I mean, family room that'd be awkward. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm thinking <laughs> when you said that. Um, yeah, so uh, what happened? So, so, so the boyfriend allegedly alleges the boyfriend uh, drove to the, but the girls were certainly in a car that took them to their mother's house, uh, where she promptly uh, phoned police and dubbed them in. One of the girls who was with the boyfriend was, the police said, initially uncooperative when directed to return to the facility. Right. So, uh, all four of them were then subsequently directed by the chief health officer back into the quarantine facility. Uh, so what does that what does that mean? Yeah. Directed? Does that mean handcuffs? Uh, back uh, yeah, that's car. Or she uh, was uncooperative. Is... Go back to quarantine. No. Yeah. Go back to quarantine. <laughs> no, I won't. Yeah, it sounds like my little three year old. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what she's like. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, like I don't know. This is all you know. The police speak uh, garbage where they don't. They're not clear about anything. And to say yeah, yeah. directed by the chief health officer, I don't think they call pain. Well, we know that Eggie's already in there. So I don't think it was him, but uh, the acting chief health I, officer, I'm pretty sure they didn't call him. So I just laughed. I would suggest that, that it was police force. So, yeah. I laughed out loud today, Chris, when I was reading about all the different COVID rules for those from different states coming into the Northern Territory. And, yeah. uh, you know, at the top, of the, the top of the post that I was reading, you know, I, the... What's his role? The um, Chief Health Officer of the Northern Territory, Charles Payne. Dr. Payne, I love it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's a great name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He'd been running the hospital there for a long time. We've always had a good chuckle over that, the yeah. hospital. But, um, yeah, so he's acting uh, Chief Health Officer, so I guess it's on his orders that they took uh, yeah. uh, these, well, the, the, the four of them, the two girls, the two sisters, the mother, the boyfriend. They're all in there. Uh, the police didn't find that as humorous as other people. No. Incident, incidents like this place the wider antique community in danger and will not be tolerated. We must continue to remain vigilant and follow all directions of the chief health officers at the uh, uh, commander session charm at the time. We've not had community transmission and we're safe because we've been diligent in ensuring anyone potentially at risk is quarantined. So, yeah, uh, the sisters then. Got back and looked at the five thousand uh, dollar fine each for breaching health orders, um, and then the twenty five hundred bill for each of them to quarantine. So, well, I, I think the um, while the police may not have appreciated it, I think the person who will have least appreciated that situation is Mum. Yeah, Mum's a big loser on this one. She got them in. More than likely, she's got a job that she now can't attend yeah. for two weeks. <laughs> and and something else that I will say, and I, I was talking to someone about this today, 
And while we do commend the NT government on the fact that there have been no community transmission cases um, mm -hmm. or, or no, no cases at all other than those in quarantine who've, who've literally been flown in, yeah. Um, what I would say is that a lot of that is sh through sheer dumb luck because <laughs> the situation in Alice Springs where we were ringing around looking for hotel rooms in the middle of the night and shock horror, they couldn't get one because there were non-quarantining guests already in those hotels. Yeah, and I remember And then we that, went, yeah. oh, everybody just go home and quarantine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you remember that, yeah. I mean, seriously, the fact that nothing got out then is a miracle. And yep. had it, it would have been pure devastation. So yeah, down there, thank absolutely. God, thank God, we, yep. we haven't had any because <laughs> it would be. It'd be I mean, it, it, we look at Melbourne and say, well, how can they keep getting it wrong? Well, they keep mm. getting it wrong because there's still a percentage of the people that think it's a big government conspiracy and it's a myth. And yeah. now the strains of that advanced, where they're saying that people are now catching this thing by just walking past someone in the street. Mm. Right? But if that got out in the Northern Territory, you could only imagine the devastation that would be caused because social distancing simply doesn't exist. Yeah. Inherent health complaints in certain members of the community are just, you know, they're, they're, um, they're so bad that yeah. they just wouldn't be able to survive and it would be chaos. Yeah, well, and, you know, that's what we saw, I guess, this week here too with uh, – Gunner, I don't know if he paid the NT government news to do that, but their whole thing about Gunner says now you must get vaccinated uh, or you I will get COVID. A, I think he's going to give national, it to us. A national push, I think. There's a number from from News Corp from the federal well, government. To News Corp. Well, I don't know about that, but <laughs> yeah, I've, I've seen know, a number of but, um, you know promotions around the country. Oh yeah, but very it, similar. But you know, they just they they haven't done it. I mean, on the federal level and on the NT level, I mean, they don't even have the vaccines. No one knows what where to go, what to do, how to get it. I mean, they've got to start improving uh, their game okay, there and okay. their strategy. Well, I know three people, people huh? have had it. Yeah. And it's interesting because I was privy to a conversation with someone who worked at the hospital the other day, mm -hmm. and I will tell you, even they didn't know yeah. because I said, well, you can pretty much just ring up now. And, and, and yeah. I said, I know three people who've done it, rung up, booked in, and got in straight away, and then gone to have their uh, jab. And there's been no one else there at the time. <laughs> uh, but health yeah. officials are still saying, oh, no, you've got to be over 50 or have an inherent health condition, which I'm told is not true. Yeah. I've just heard horror stories from good sources in health, too, about there, there's a reason there was no one there last weekend. That something had happened. They had screwed something up, didn't have the staff, and they only done something like 90 uh, vaccinations in a day, which is whoa, 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 woefully yeah, inadequate yeah, yeah. for what you need to get doing here. Didn't that's what that I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, and the government's yeah, got to get on with that here. Um, uh, anyway, yeah, like what about a cash know, incentive, Chris? I reckon I, <laughs> I reckon I could be uh, incentivized with a bit of cash in my hand. Well, you better get Scomo's wallet and then get his cash. <laughs> we don't got it here. The cash is tainted with interest rates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We just can't afford it here. But uh, mm. uh, we'll see where it goes. I think that's it. I think everyone has been a little, you know, just feeling lucky to be in the ENT and then we haven't had it. And um, yeah, when yeah. it comes, so yeah, I mean, it could be. 
even though, you know, I think Gunner, whatever, I don't know what he's, they, they just kind of switch how they're messaging everything these days. It's just kind of seat of the pants stuff. And right. like to see some of that bigger plan, better plan. But anyway, All right, uh, that's where we are. Yeah. All right, Chris. Well, happy 51st, mate. It's been good chatting. <laughs> yeah, Pete, it's been great. We'll see All you right. next week. Hopefully, Leon will be back. Yeah, I'll have, oh, thanks for that. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just saying, like, he's, yeah, you I'm didn't explain. Good. I guess you didn't explain that he's, that he is well. He just couldn't make it tonight. So, but no, he's, he's, he's caught up with other business. And I, I think, yeah, he was just, well. I think he was throwing caution to the wind. He thought, look, I'm going to let these two Looney Tunes take, <laughs> the, take the helm for once. <laughs> no, it's been, um, it's been fun. I've enjoyed this. Yeah, I think we, right. we, we covered some good stuff here. Yeah, Give people something to think. You always learn something on the weekends with Wall Street territory. That, that story exactly right. Yeah. And this that's, this week, we've learned that the, the whole place is crumbling down around us. Well, I'm not sure we learned that. We, we just confirmed. Yeah, we are. Yeah, we, we were, had suspicions before. <laughs> the, the, yeah, the more thing, more institutions yeah, yeah. are crumbling around we, us. We so. relearned it. Uh, good luck to us. And next week we should get a, a, some sort of certification in the mail about it. <laughs> anyway, mate, it's been good chatting. I'll get a cake ready for 49 more episodes. <laughs> Great. Thanks, Pete. See you next week. You too. That was Chris Walsh from the NT Independent Online Newspaper. Weekends with Walshy, back again next week on the Territory Story Podcast, Weekend Edition. We'll catch you then. You've been listening to the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan Nathan and Peter Gowers. For more episodes, search Territory Story Podcast on all leading podcasting platforms or go to territorystory.com. The Territory Story Podcast. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency.